The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to say uh, to all you who are here and all who are joining us online, and particularly our visitors, welcome in the name of Jesus. And if you're visiting with us today, we want you to know that we are a church that is being transformed in the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that through three ways. We gather together in the name of the Father like we do this morning. That we're seeking to grow into the image of His Son. And Gene talked about that this morning in Connections Group and other ways. We'd love for you to be a part and connect with some of our small groups. And finally, through go. That we go by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this year is our year for Go. And so we're, Brett and I are in a sermon series, Your Story, meaning your, meaning God's story that becomes your story, Scripture and the mission of God. So our text this morning is from Exodus. It says this. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them shrewdly. We must deal shrewdly with them or they become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. I have to have you guys do it. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where, where they reside as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks for this moment to be together and for the gift of your word. God, we confess that 
we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And so, God, we ask today that you give us ears to hear, that you give us hearts that have desires to follow, and lives and bodies that will obey. God, I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You've heard this story many times in this church if you've been a part of this family. I have permission to tell it again this morning. In 2010, Mike Osborne lost his job and worked very hard to find a new one, but for four years experienced unemployment. And just at the moment when he and Holly thought that they were going to have to sell their home and move into an apartment or downgrade, they received a gift in their mailbox. It was a check that someone from church brought and put at their door, and the check was just enough to cover their mortgage. And so they paid their mortgage that month and were again thinking again, do we have to sell? Do we have to move? What are we going to do? And then again, the very next month, checks at their door cover their mortgage. And for up to close to a year, every month, this check ended up on their door. That saved them from moving, that saved them from financial ruin, that saved them from all kinds of shame that would have come with all of that. Needless to say, it was a defining moment for the Osborne's life. Because a defining moment is something that comes to you where it requires you to make a pivotal decision in your life. And I can imagine that for Mike, in a world that tells us that we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and do for ourselves that other people shouldn't do for us, he had to trust in someone else's good gift. But pivotal moments are not just decisions that are made. They're transformative experiences that are not our own doing but they come to us and they transform our lives. In fact, they transform who we are. They transform the way that we see the world and they also transform the way that we begin acting in the world after that experience happens. In that moment, the Osbournes were saved. And that defining moment has changed the way they think and act since then. For Israel, they have a defining moment. And for Scripture, for Christians, there is a defining moment that we have. And it's in this story. It's in the story of the Exodus. It'd be hard to imagine what we think and celebrate as the defining moment, Jesus Christ, which is apart from this story, this story frames the whole thing. In fact, if you want to know what salvation looks like in Jesus Christ, you've got to point back. God's people always point back to the Exodus. 
it frames the whole problem and it frames the way God is going to act on behalf of the world. So for the problem, here's how it frames it. Pharaoh and Egypt represent throughout the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. Pharaoh and Egypt represent those forces that are consistently opposed to God and his purposes. They represent the forces that are opposed to God's good creation and the blessing that God instills in creation. They also represent those forces, and you read about this, Egypt comes up a lot, even when Egypt is not physically involved in the story of Israel. It's a reference point that when you say Israel among God's people, they know. I mean, when you say Egypt among God's people, Israel knows what you're talking about. They know what that means. It means the forces that are against God and his people. And what's interesting is that in this story, it begins this way, that Pharaoh knows nothing about Joseph. Which Joseph was God's person of wisdom that brought about God's purposes, not only for Egypt, but for Israel as well, if you know the story. And so it says tons just in those few, just in those few words. When the new king came, he knew nothing of Joseph. In other words, when the new king arrived, when Pharaoh arrived, he knew nothing about God or God's ways in the world. Then what it goes on to say is this, is that Pharaoh who knew not God's will or God's purposes. It says he looked at God's people and he became afraid. He said they become too numerous for us because if war breaks out, they may join our enemies and then leave us. So Pharaoh, not knowing the purposes of God, In fear, he enslaves God's people. He enslaves the very people God sought to bless. So when you hear Pharaoh in Egypt, what that means is what Paul calls sin and death. Because sin and death knows nothing of God and God's purposes. And fear is always the response of sin and death. If someone is trying to make you afraid, mm, a little bell should go off in your head. The bell of Pharaoh. The bell of sin and death. This whole story is the story of salvation for God's people, the Exodus story. We would not know about God's salvation apart from God's revelation of this story. I often ask my students, I I think I've told this story, I've asked my students, what's the gospel? And I get lots of responses from students in class at Oklahoma Christian, but inevitably it comes down to this response. It varies quite a bit, but 
pretty soon, it comes down to this response. Is that the gospel is that God sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for our sins so that we could go to heaven and spend eternity with him. And I go, yes, that's right. You are right. It's what we celebrated today at the communion table. This is what we talk about. This is what we hope for. This is what scripture talks about. But I don't stop there. I said, you are right. That is the gospel. But if that is the gospel for you, your gospel's way too small. In other words, if there's anything that I want you to know today, is that the gospel is bigger than you think it is. Salvation and the gospel is much bigger than you think it is. Let me unpack that for just a minute. So in this Exodus story, you have this whole story about Israel coming into Egypt. They come in as refugees. If you know the story, there's famine in the land. They come and they are welcomed as refugees. They are vulnerable and they are welcome. But sin and death makes Pharaoh afraid of them. And instead of welcoming, he ends up, this fear leads to suspicion, discrimination, exploitation, and even enslavement. I mean, there's a real political aspect of this whole thing. We're talking about Israel, and we're talking about Egypt. We're talking about food insecurity. We're talking about refugees, which we talk a lot about today, by the way. Should not get, go past you what's on the news, what's even in our own neighborhoods, in our community. There's a real political dimension to this, but it's not just political there's economics to it. The very reason why they come is food shortage. I mean, if there's not a more basic economic question about money and stuff of life, I shouldn't say this, but right now, all you're thinking about is where am I going to go to lunch? I thought for sure I'd get an amen out of that one. It's the most brilliant thing I've said all day. Thank you, Monty. It's okay to think about food. You should think about food. God created food for you to eat. It's the way God nourishes and sustains our bodies. Don't worry, you'll get out of here on time to go eat. Food is always an economic question. Because it's not just the Osbournes that ask the question probably where are we going to live? Probably began creeping in their mind how are we going to sustain ourselves? It's a real economic question. And what happens is that the exploitation of Egypt ends up making people enslave and they exploit them and they use them to fill up their bank accounts. In the beginning, they were welcomed and in a, in a sense, Egypt became the salvation for Israel, but soon it became the oppressor in their lives. And now they have very little the flesh pots, and they're being used to build storehouses for Pharaoh. But it isn't in there. It's not only political. It's not only social. 
I mean, it's not only political and economic, it's also social. Because even though he treats them very harshly, eventually he goes, there needs to be population control. And this goes to the very relationships and families and neighborhoods and neighbors and how people get treated. I mean, it's like a genocide of children. That's what happens in this story. It's political, it's economic, it's social. And I want you to hear this. Go to the next slide. That salvation and God's redemption is comprehensive of all aspects of life. The Exodus story teaches you and I that salvation is comprehensive of all of life. All aspects of life. Not just your sin problem, which it does address, and it is comprehensive of your sin problem, for sure. But it's comprehensive of your family, work problems, money problems, social problems, neighbor problems, enemy problems, psychological problems. Medical, physical problems. I want you to hear this. God sent his son to save you from your sins. He also sent his son to save you from all the things in life. If you don't believe me, you have not read the Psalms. It extends to the social, to the economic, how we relate to one another. In other words, salvation in Exodus is freedom from all of those things that oppress us. Salvation is freedom from all of those things that oppress us. So this is why God says in Exodus 6, 5, says this, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. I guarantee you, when you reach out to God and you're groaning about sin in your life, He hears you. But you know that, or at least you should know that. But guess what? When sickness comes in your life, I have heard their groaning. When trouble comes up in relationships, I've heard they're groaning. When hardships come and you lose that job, I hear that groaning too. When death strikes, the people you most love and care about, God hears that groaning. verse 6 he says this therefore say to the Israelites I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians I will free you from being slaves to them I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the mighty acts of judgment there's a lot of action going on there one I will bring you out of Egypt salvation is deliverance from whatever oppresses I'm going to bring you out of that oppression Sin and death, as Paul calls it, I'm going to bring you out. 
That's what salvation is. I bring you out of it. Then he says, I will free you from slavery. Salvation is freedom from whatever enslaves. It's freedom. He says, I will redeem you with my strength. And this word redeem, we take it to mean something that happens spiritually to us. But in Israel, this is a real concrete term. It's often the word redeem or redeemer is someone that comes and makes the name of someone who's been shamed. It gives back honor to their family name. Or if someone finds themselves in debt or in slavery because of debt. And this is not a metaphor for something else. I mean real debt real slavery it is someone that comes in and pays the debt someone that comes and makes it right and has a restoration provides a restoration they come in and they affect change and transformation to the circumstances of life kind of like that person did for the Osbournes he came and dropped that check off. When she dropped that check off every single month. That's redemption. Salvation is freedom from whatever oppresses. But salvation is not only freedom from. You need to know this. Salvation is bigger than you think it is. It encompasses all the things of your life. But salvation is not only freedom from something, it is freedom for. And this is where we stop short so many times. You're just not freed from something. You're freed for something. Because part of what's going on here, this is spiritual freedom that's happening. The, the Exodus makes no bones about it. It is a spiritual freedom. But what's interesting is that the word in Hebrew for service, that's used for service in relationship to their enslavement. And this word comes up a lot over and over. They served, they were enslaved, they served Pharaoh. It's, this word service is the exact same word that's used in the Old Testament for worship. You can interchange them out. So when they served Pharaoh, it was worship to him. Now, you could argue, but Ben, they weren't worshiping. They didn't choose this. Of course they didn't choose this. You think slaves choose that? They're in service. But he says in chapter 6, verse 7, I will take you, God says this to Israel, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. The question is not, the problem is not that they're enslaved. The problem is they're enslaved to the wrong master. The problem for Israel in this story is not that they're enslaved. The problem in this story is that they're slaves to the wrong master. Because if you look between Pharaoh and God, it sets this whole thing up. Pharaoh and slaves... God, he redeems from slavery. So you're not only freed from slavery, you're freed for justice. 
Do you hear that? Pharaoh sponsors the interest of the powerful, being himself. God sponsors the interest of those who are most vulnerable, being us and God's people, Israel. So not only are you freed from the one who sponsors the interest of the most powerful, you are freed for the mercy of God, to be ministers of mercy in the world. Pharaoh is this self-aggrandizing God pretender, but God is the God of steadfast love. So not only are you freed from this God pretender Pharaoh, from this God pretender that we call sin and death, but you are freed for love of God and love of neighbor. Ministers of God's steadfast love. Because God is the one that works for a new future. Pharaoh and sin and death, they want to keep the world exactly like it is. God is the one that works towards a new future. So you're not only freed from the same old, same old that Pharaoh leads us to believe that this is the way the world is. You are freed for God's new and better future. This is not only freed from the past, but you're freed for the present and you're freed for God's future. We call this the kingdom of God. And we this morning name Jesus as king of God's present and promised future. Salvation, it's bigger than you think. For this story is a defining moment for God's people. The Exodus story is a story that shapes our identity. Shapes God's people's identity. But it also shapes how we see the world. We don't see the world anymore like Pharaoh does. We read this morning, we used to view people one way, but in Christ... We view him differently now. New creation. The old, tired, worn out world of Egypt is dying and will one day be dead. But God's promised future, God's preferred present, that's what salvation is, right? So the way of Pharaoh is fear, to tighten the grip of enslavement. But the way of salvation is to care and to open the hand of service to others. Because service towards others is service or worship of God. The way of Pharaoh is to view view your neighbor with suspicion. But the way of salvation is to view your neighbor through love. How are you going to treat your neighbor? way of Pharaoh is concerned with getting more bricks into his account. But the way of salvation is concerned with how you use the bricks that are in your account for the sake of others. That's the way of salvation. The temptation of Pharaoh is this. That Pharaoh wants to make the story his story. Pharaoh wants to make his story 
the story of the world. And it is our temptation to make our story, to make your story the story. The way of salvation, the grace of salvation is this. is that God has offered his story, your story, God, to be our story. In fact, the whole gift of God to you and I the salvation that God offers you today is this. God, your story is being offered to each and every one of us sitting in this room that it can become your story. That is the gift of God's salvation. Let's stand.